Welcome to podcast number 61 on April 27th of 2022. My name is Ian Duncan MacDonald. I am the author of four investment books. Today, we will first answer five questions that I have received, and then I will finish reading from chapter 10 of my latest book, American High Dividend Handbook. Question number one. What's the cause of the April 22nd stock market drop? Stock prices go up and stock prices go down. The prices are controlled by speculators. The stock market is an auction vehicle for speculators. It is important to remind yourself that before you can sell a stock, you must first find a buyer who will buy it at the price you are offering. Thus, for every stock being sold, there are just as many speculators buying. On April 22nd, many speculators were willing to sell their stock at a lower price than they had been prepared to sell it on April 15th. On April 29th, there may be more speculators willing to pay a higher price than they would pay on April 22nd. Some speculators just follow the herd in buying and selling stocks because everyone else is doing it. Some buy it or sell because of rumors or because of media hype of the financial press to attract readers. It seems that few buy and sell based on the stock's hard financial data and a history of share prices, profits, and dividends. If they checked back over 20 years of share prices and dividend payouts, they would see that companies who've had ever-increasing share prices and ever-rising dividend payouts reached new record highs after each recession and after each market crash. Market drops are caused by emotional reasons, not logical. However, if you have extended yourself with the intention of buying low with the intent of selling high to generate money to live on, you can put yourself in the position of having to sell your stocks at a loss instead of relaxing, living off your dividends, and waiting for the stock to again reach new record highs. If you want to quickly check the 20-year history of high-dividend-paying stocks, obtain a copy of American High Dividend Handbook. Question number two. How much do stocks go up if a company gets good news? Speculators control the price of stocks, not the managers of the company. They only control revenues and expenses that result in profits from which dividends are paid. To buy a stock, an optimist who thinks a stock is going to increase in value must place a bid for that stock at a high enough price that a pessimist that thinks a stock is overvalued and about to descend in value will sell it. They both cannot be right. This makes it impossible to accurately predict if a stock is going to go up or go down. Thus, a company announcing 
Good news has no control over the share price. All news is open to interpretation. A pessimist wanting to sell the stock may have been waiting for such news to get rid of the stock. The stock will only go up if pessimists who think the stock is going to go down will sell it to the optimists. Asking how high the stock will go up on good news suggests there is a direct link between good news and rising stock prices. There isn't. This would be a dangerous assumption to make. You would be wise to check 20 years of share prices and dividend payouts in determining if the stock is going to follow a trend of ever-increasing gains, which has little to do with today's good news. Question number three. What are the risks of financing to buy stocks? It is interesting how few people hesitate to take on a mortgage when they buy a house. They and the bank lending them the money have a basic assumption that the real estate they are buying is going to appreciate in value. However, I have seen situations where the property did not appreciate and the home buyer abandoned the property and walked away and lost all he had invested in the house. This was in an oil industry town after the price of oil crashed and it took years for oil prices to again recover. Investing in stocks is just another asset like oil. While oil prices are a commodity whose prices are set by traders around the world, stock prices are set by optimistic speculators bidding against pessimistic speculators. The price of a stock can reverse almost instantly and can have little to do with the financial strength of the company. When you borrow $100,000 to buy a stock, you must immediately start paying interest on the loan. The hot stock with lots of potential but little profits that you bought for $100,000 might increase in value over a year by $10,000. This would be an above average gain. However, over that year, you may have paid $6,000 in interest at $500 a month, and you still owe the entire $100,000. The only way you realize your profit of $10,000 is to sell all the shares you own in the stock minus the interest on the loan, and you might be left with $4,000. What happens if after a year the stock does not increase but goes down by 10% to a value of $90,000? Is this when you cut your loss and sell the stock? Or do you hang on in the hope it is going to increase? If you do sell the stock, you still owe the lender their $100,000. You still have paid out the $6,000 in interest, your loss would now be $16,000. A less risky stock purchase would be to borrow the $100,000 at the 6% interest, but make sure the stock is paying a dividend of 
8% and has an ever-increasing dividend payment over the last 10 to 20 years. Thus, whether the stock increases or decreases in value, the dividend payment should offset the interest payments. Usually, any stock that can pay out a dividend like that also has corresponding increases in its share prices. However, there is still some risk. Dividends are not guaranteed. So what it comes down to is calculating risk and spending the time to find those few stocks where your losses are minimized. However, the safest thing is not to borrow, but to invest the $500 a month you would have been paying an interest on the $100,000 loan in financially strong stocks have paid high dividends for years. At the end of the year, you should have equity of at least $6,000 and earn possibly another $400 in dividends from the stocks. Question number four. If your stock portfolio is profitable, do you plan to reinvest profits or withdraw some or all of them? 100% of my portfolios are in high dividend stocks. I have lived very well off these dividends for 18 years through two market crashes. I have carefully scored each stock and only make a change if the score drops below 50, while at the same time the dividend yield percentage drops below 5%. I can go for a year without making a change. Share prices are almost irrelevant. I generate more dividend income than I need to live on, and I do invest that surplus money back into the good stocks I already own. Over those 18 years, the portfolio has grown by 500%. You would see these gains as profits. Why would I sell these stocks to gain profits and diminish my dividend income? If I ever encountered a financial disaster that I needed hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars, I might then be forced to sell some of these profitable shares to generate cash. But in 18 years, I've never had such a need, and I doubt I ever will. To me, the objective of investing is to live well and to minimize your stresses. Buying and selling shares to reap profits is stressful. Question number five. What are the best high-yield dividend stocks at this time? There are many stocks that pay high dividends that are not safe stocks to buy. If you get a copy of the American High Dividend Handbook and turn to page 128, you will see 19 top dividend-paying stocks traded on the New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ with operating margins greater than 15%. They are paying dividends between 10.50% and 31.70%. According to their IDM scores, only five might be considered safe to be added to a value portfolio. 
Many of the stocks paying such a high dividend are one-hit wonders. The chances of them continuing to pay such a high dividend are remote. It becomes important to look back over the stock's share price and dividend payout for the last 20 years, if they have been around that long, to see the consistency of their character. Historical dividend payout and share price records for all 268 high-dividend-paying stocks appear later in the book for all stocks. The sweet spot for high-dividend stocks seems to be those paying dividends between 6% and 10%. You can find several desirable stocks, like the following example from page 357 of the book. Real Tinto, R-I-O, on the New York Stock Exchange, has an excellent score and a history of ever-rising share prices and dividend and payouts. For example, its share price was $75.83. Four years ago, it was $45.45. The book value is $29.80. It has two analyst buy ratings. The dividend yield percent is 9.30. The operating margin was 49.10. Daily shares traded were over 2 million. A price to earnings ratio of 6.4 makes the stock attractive. The total IDM score was 71. Since 2001, stock prices have risen steadily from $16.79 and dividend payouts from $0.20. Chapter 10. I'm now going to read from page 448 to the end of chapter 10 of American High Dividend Handbook. While investing is all about increasing your personal revenues, this chapter is all about controlling your expenses to enjoy a profitable lifestyle. Non-residency. Abandoning your citizenship is probably one of the most difficult life decisions anyone would ever have to make. However, for a few hundred thousand dollars invested in real estate, Citizenship can be purchased within a few months in several countries without income tax laws. A comfortable lifestyle could be enjoyed for half of what you are now spending. Food. Eating fabulous meals paired with an exquisite wine in renowned restaurants is an expensive form of entertainment. The bragging rights may make you feel good for a few days. In a few weeks, it may be difficult to remember exactly what had been so incredible about the experience. Frequent gourmet dining will delay your reaching your objective of financial independence. Once financial independence is achieved, you can wine and dine to the extent of your dividend income. No longer are you saving to reach it. However, having carefully invested your money and made many sacrifices 
to achieve financial independence, you may never feel the same way about lavish spending. Frugality is a hard habit to break once it is internalized. Gifts. Until you get out of debt, limit social situations where expensive gifts are expected. Accept that you can no longer afford to accept every invitation to every wedding, shower, and birthday party. This may be the hardest sacrifice you will ever have to make to achieve your goal. Celebrations are not only important in maintaining relationships, but fun. Charitable donations fall under gifts. Moderate your charitable donations so you can financially secure your future. Be generous when you can finally afford to be generous. Accounting. Pay your bills electronically. This not only saves time and postage, but creates a historical record of expenses that can be instantly referred to at tax time. Charge everything you can to a credit card so you have a detailed record of exactly what you've been spending money on. It is too easy when using cash to lose sight of where your money went. As well, cards that return a percentage of your expenditures can reduce your costs. Companies do make billing mistakes. If you think that a monthly invoice is larger than normal, Compare previous statements over the last 18 months. Are there any unexplained increases? If there are, ask the vendor for an explanation. Use this call as an opportunity to also ask how you could lower your monthly billing. They may offer discounts if they feel a customer relationship is in jeopardy. Thousands of companies distribute discount coupons. Some are instantly available online. They can save you money. Before making any significant purchase, do a Google search to see how competitive prices are. Often, you can find better prices online than you can by visiting a store. If you can wait a day or two for delivery, ordering online and foregoing the expense and time in traveling to a store is worth it. Credit cards. Never pay for the use of a credit card and never incur a pass due charge. The banks count on half of their cardholders not paying off their card balance by the due date. They want to charge interest of almost 2% per month on unpaid balances. In addition, the banks are also receiving up to 2.5% from the stores who accept their credit cards. Despite this 2.5% charge, retailers still love credit cards because they know that customers with credit cards do not pay as much attention to price as those who pay cash. They especially love those who see shopping as a form of entertainment. Some retailers complain how unfair it is for banks to take a percentage of every sale charged to a credit card. They ignore the reality that if they establish their own in-house credit card service, 
they would not only incur administrative costs, but on average, they would lose 5% of their sales to bad debt. This is what retailers traditionally lost before credit cards were introduced. Therefore, the 2.5% of the retail may be paying a bank as a bargain. Credit consultants will often recommend that those addicted to credit card spending should destroy their credit cards and revert to a debit card, which will not allow them to spend money that's not in their bank account. While credit cards are a convenience and have almost become a necessity, it is important that you recognize that you are being manipulated to spend more money than you need to spend. Good times or bad, the banks always make billions of profitable dollars from their small charges. This may sound cynical, but most bank stocks give an investment portfolio a good, solid investment base. An emergency cash fund should be set aside. It could be equivalent to what you would normally spend in three months. Once your investment account is established, in an emergency you can, if necessary, also easily sell enough shares to cover any sudden demand for cash. To sell the stocks would cost you, as a self-directed investor, less than $10. If you wanted to get emergency cash out of bonds or mutual funds, you would be required to pay hundreds or even thousands of dollars in fees or commissions. I have heard investment advisors tell those planning their retirement they should target retirement income from passive investments equivalent to 70 to 80% of their current income without government subsidies. From my experience, after being retired for 17 years, I believe Most retired people can live well on less than half of the income they enjoyed from full employment. This is due to senior tax breaks, fewer clothing expenses, no commuting costs, and many other living expenses that disappear. Much of your income was being lost to income tax. A lightly taxed dividend income takes away much of the insecurity of no longer having employment income. Interestingly, dividend income keeps growing as your portfolio grows, even as you subtract your living expenses from your portfolio. Your biggest concern may become trying to decide whether to invest your surplus cash or to spend it on affordable luxuries. After reading this chapter, one reader told me she thought a frugal lifestyle would take all the joy out of living. However, unless you are focused on your financial objective, an occasional exception can quickly become the norm. You will never establish a large enough financial cushion to protect yourself from unforeseen setbacks. Frugal living and investing do require discipline. This raises the question of how much money is too much money to save. There are cynics who suggest that the financial service industry scares investors into saving too much. 
so that their financial advisor can receive a high commission income from your portfolio for decades. While this cynicism may be justified, I have not met any retirees who complain about having too much money invested. Many of the retirees I know have health issues of a minor or major nature. They spend significant amounts on health and pain reduction products. A large, ever-growing stock portfolio is living a comfortable life insurance for them. Thank you. Good night. Thanks for listening. If you wish more information on investing and stock scoring, please visit my website, www.saferbetterdividendinvesting.com.